0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: You're listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire. This is episode two, and I am so excited to sit down with the NFL Network's MJ Acosta. MJ covers the Bay Area and is the first ever Latina on air at the NFL Network. Before we dive in, I'd love to ask everyone listening to please subscribe to the Get My Job podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. One lucky reviewer will win some cool new fangirl merch and be highlighted in an upcoming episode. Make sure to screenshot your review on your Instagram story and tag at Fangirl Sports Network, hashtag Pod for your chance to win. MJ, welcome to the second episode of Get My Job. We are so happy to have you today. Well, I am so happy to have you today. All of us at Fangirl Sports Network are happy to have you today. Thank you for being on.
0: Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I love this entire platform. You know me as women in the field. I always say stronger together. So this is perfect.
1: That is 100% our feeling as well. We always we like to say community over competition Stronger together. Fantastic. Uh, MJ and I met originally because, as you guys know, she is the Bay Area reporter for the NFL Network. And we first met at 49ers training camp last season. It was an instant love fest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Two women grew up loving sports, loving football. MJ, I want to dive in to the beginning of your love for sports. I know you grew up in New York City. And you told me that your father is a former pro basketball player for the Dominican Republic, and that he played in an Optimist League. What is an Optimist League?
0: Right. So after he, you know, his his time in pro basketball internationally, so he played for the national team in the Dominican Republic. Um, we moved to New York, and by then he he was pretty far removed from being an actual player, um, professional player rather, but still played in an optimist capacity. So basically there's leagues, sort of independent leagues, you know, in any city that you go to or any region. And, and so they hold their own t- tournaments, but it's sort of self-funded, if you will. Um, so so that's, I guess, the best explanation for
1: it. Okay, fantastic. And then you ended up moving to Miami. Did you move straight from New York City to Miami?
0: I did. So um, our family moved to Miami when I started high school. Yeah, so that's that's where, where I consider home now. My parents still live there. They own their house there. You know, when I speak now to, like, my bosses, I don't say I'm going home for the holidays. And I use that as a very broad example because you know that in sports that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> when I say I'm going home, um, that's, that's where home is now.
1: And you were a Miami Dolphins cheerleader from 2012-13. Amazing. Were you always a dancer?
0: I was I mean, dance was like the first love of my life. Um, you know, I, I, my parents used to um, drop me off at this. They were the ballet classes were at a um, like a, a an elementary school. So we'd clear out the the room and kind of move all the desks and these teachers would volunteer their time. Um, these ballet instructors and and you know, teach us kids. I grew up in Washington Heights and um you know, we were we had very humble beginnings. My my parents were really, really hard after immigrating to this country. So that was like a treat for me to be able to do something like that. And and I loved it from the first plie.
1: Oh, that's that's fair. I've loved it from the first plie it should be a t shirt, a bumper sticker, and yeah, everything. <laughs> really, totally. really good. you should coin that. Talk to me a little about becoming a Miami Dolphins cheerleader, how that came about, and, and what that process was like.
0: Girl, that process was lengthy. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen, um, like, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader making the squad show, which, by the way, I'm obsessed with. It's It's essentially the same process. So, you know, there's open auditions, there's several cuts in the open portion, and then you go through... A week of panel interviews and rehearsals to go to the final audition and then from there they choose girls to go to a training camp and then after that you can still get cut before making the actual team and starting the season so um it takes a lot of work and for me i tried out five times before i actually made the team oh wow tenacity was key there so the first four times i tried out um in a row i would make it all the way to finals and then get cut there, like, just when you could, like, feel it, taste it, almost grab it, um, so, you know, it it was really tough, I saw so many of my, my best friends to this day make the squad, um, which I was so thrilled for them, but, you know, it's, it's tough when you, when you want it so badly, so I just kept going, and I was like, you know, eventually, like, they're either gonna get sick of me and tell me not to come back, (laughs) um, or, you know, it'll be my year, and eventually it was, and, and I'm so glad that I kept at it, because to this day, it's still one of, the biggest accomplishments for me, and something that um, I miss doing every single day.
1: So, when was your first tryout? What year?
0: God, really? We're gonna, we're gonna just age me like this, okay? Uh, <laughs> let's see. Must have been like, could God, like two thousand five or something? Okay. Something like that, and then I did four years in a row, and then I took several years off and like just focused on school and starting my career. So when I actually made the squad, um, I was already a sports reporter in Miami. Um, so it was really interesting um, to kind of be on, on both sides. I, I was not covering the Dolphins, obviously. It, I was still covering sports, so it, as a freelancer. So it, it allowed me some freedom to still be able to dance, um, but ultimately, I, I you know I had to what I call had to be a grown up and like really make make some choices um, to continue on on this career path.
1: So you were a freelancer in Miami. What were some of the things that you were covering to start off?
0: So my first um, job was in Spanish at a local Spanish um, station covering youth sports and like community affairs. So doing some news um, there as well. But youth sports is kind of how I, I, I first broke in. You know, it's interesting because you see so many of the kids, especially in Miami that has... It for football, their legacy kids, as I call them, so their their fathers all played in the NFL. So you know you see some some pretty major like NFL legends showing up to like Pee Wee games, and then you're like, no wonder that kid is so good, or no wonder his last name sounds familiar. That um, it's like in, literally in his DNA. So um, it was an interesting. But from there, I, I jumped pretty quickly to um, then working in the local news scene um, in Miami as well. Before I left to California, I was working for the ABC station there, um, doing sports as well, but sort of a jack of all trades Um, there—sports, entertainment, traffic, hard news, breaking news, anchoring—you name it, I did it. It was it was pretty nuts.
1: Well, I think that that's a really important uh, point to talk about for a minute. Is that you know we see we turn on. Monday Night Football, we turn on the NFL Network, we turn on ESPN, and we see a sideline reporter, we see somebody in studio, and that may be the first we've heard of them, and so our assumption is MJ Acosta right. started on the NFL Network. But I think nice. it's important for people in this industry to understand you start you know, paying your dues, and you start offering a lot of different things, and I think you saying even beyond, obviously, the Wee sports, but them being a jack-of-all-trades, I think that's a really thing, important thing Um, for young women listening to understand
0: totally I mean I think when you're on a national level a lot of people just see that like you sort of get to the national stage and of course because there's more exposure people um, start to kind of put two and two together but they don't see the rest of it that you know the decade that it took me um, to get to this point to the NFL network and and it took a lot of a lot of grit a lot of tenacity tenacity and and paying a lot of dues and um that came in a lot of different facets but you're 100% right you know this is it's a steep hill to climb um and it it takes a very long time the other day i got like a a dm on instagram and someone said oh i think i want to jump into journalism like no, you one does not simply jump in. Like, and mine, right. I get a lot of, I get a lot of messages from like other women and other and other young girls who are trying to figure it out, right? And and so that's one thing. And I'm always there, like, okay, girl, let me break it down for you. And and I want you to be prepared before you jump into this, on what you can expect. But then there are others who are so laissez faire about it, like it's just like a casual thing. Like I'm gonna go pick up groceries today, or I think I'm gonna become a sports reporter. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: That's really funny. It reminds me it reminds me of that line in Legally Blonde when he says, do you think she just woke up one day and said, I think yeah. I'll apply to law school today? But even in that, she did not. Right. <laughs> um, but it totally just makes me think of that. But I do think that's a really an important thing. And too often, I think people can walk into a room, walk into a profession, and it's a very fine line. You want to have that attitude of, I'm going to be, I've decided I want to be a journalist and I'm going to cover sports and I'm going to do it. There's a fine line between that and like, and, and I think you know, it's a very fine line to understand that you've got to put the work in, you've got to put the dues in and, you know, you've worked very, very hard and that's what has to happen. It doesn't just, for the most part, you don't just show up one day at a training camp and they're like, oh, you know what? I think we'll put you on air and just see how it goes. Um, though that'd be great. <laughs> that's not... You know, that's not how it works. So I'm really glad that you talked about that because I just think that's important for people to know. Um, Now, you are the first ever Latina on air at the NFL Network, which is an absolutely incredible thing and accomplishment. So I want to talk about the NFL Network. When you moved to California, was it for NFL Network or was it for something else? And then this came about.
0: Right, so the first time I moved here was for a sports job, but it was it was uh, at the local level. So it was in San Diego, um, and it was for the lead sports anchor position um, at the NBC affiliate there. Um, and that was a really tough position because a lot of people, you know, I had covered, like, the NBA finals during, like, the Big Three LeBron era in Miami, and, like, you know, Miami is such a, a, an interesting sports town. It's an interesting town, period, but especially in sports and especially through that time, the people sort of looked at me like, girl, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why would you leave here? And, you know, having my family there, my best friends there was really difficult. However, I knew that the there's a finite amount of opportunities um, in, tor- in terms of sports. So I was sort of like the number three like future sports person at my station and I was afforded so many opportunities that it was incredible but I knew where my passion lied, and it was in sports. And so I knew that if I wanted to really get the the amount of reps and the amount of experiences that I needed, I was going to have to leave. And I, it just it worked out um, that the San Diego position became available. I went through several interviews in other markets as well uh, in the search. And there was nothing like that role. So it was a huge role, something they had never done before. So as you can imagine, I was scared out of my mind, like, am I ready for this? Can I do it? Like, you don't know until you get there. (laughs) So um, I got there and I was like, Lord, take the wheel, help me figure this out. And um, I learned more in the two and a half years that I spent in San Diego, I think than I haven't at that point in my entire career, it was completely outside of my comfort zone. It was in an entirely different capacity than what I had been doing in Miami. Um, It was it was a whole lot all at once. But you just have to do the best that you can figure it out and, and make it work. Um, and then a year into that, the station launched Telemundo. So then I was doing the lead anchor role for two stations in two languages, quite literally simultaneously every night.
1: So, <laughs> so would you say one thing in English and one thing in Spanish?
0: So I would, I had to tailor it to my audience, right? So I had a um, most of the audience from the Telemundo side was also garnered from Tijuana, which was, you know, 20 minutes south mm-hmm. from San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not necessarily concerned with what the San Diego goals you know, minor league hockey team is, Doing. Oh, okay. You know what I'm so I'm, no. you know, I had to. I was covering the Mexican soccer league and you know the Tijuana Cholos, which is the the soccer team there. So it was two different sports casts for the most part. Um, you know, so I would lead with one thing on NBC and something completely different on Telemundo. And I was on the Telemundo side, editing, writing, producing, and anchoring all on my own. Um, I thankfully had a part-time producer on the NBC side, which was my saving (laughs) grace. But, you know, you're still stacking the shows and writing your scripts and and editing as well to help out the team. So it was a whole lot all at once. And so now that I have more resources at the national level, I'm like, I'm so grateful for all of these folks who, like, show up for us every single day out in the field and back at, at our headquarters. Like, it makes my job now so much easier because I can fully focus on my content and on... Building my relationships, like with these teams, it's just absolutely game changing. However, I don't think I'd be in this position had I not gone through all of that uh, previously.
1: I think that's probably true, and I think it it brings up another point for the young women listening. You do need to be a jack of all trades. I know you you used that term earlier, but you need to be able to do everything because you just when opportunities come, you don't want. To have to say i can't do that or i don't know how to do that and right. you also don't want to say oh i can do that and then do it really wrong and ruin the opportunity so right. you know i think that's that's really really important um you've got to kind of grab opportunities it sounds like that's something you've done throughout your career like an opportunity is, has shown up and you've taken it and you've done it the best of your ability which is obviously amazing um we had a situation here not even close to the same, but, but somewhat we had a situation here a few years ago um, when we were branching into the NBA, I interviewed a young woman who wanted to work in sports journalism and I thought she was great. I offered her a position and she said, I'd really prefer to work uh, on a different league and for this specific team when you branch out there. Now, granted, we are Fair Girl Sports Network, so the goal, of course, is for you to pick, to be your team. But, you know, we've had women who really just want to be involved and they end up covering a team that they completely fall in love with. But that was so interesting to me because I thought, it's going to be very hard for this woman to make it because you can't opportunity right for this leave, do, and cover this team. Please call me. You, you know, I honestly don't even remember the person's name at this point, but I do remember that. <laughs> And I think what you've said is really important. You have the resources now, but having been able to do all that, it just puts you in a better position for opportunities.
0: Well, and it, and it gives you the context and, and sort of the purview to see the bigger picture and what you're doing. So if I'm out there and I'm getting an interview with a player, I, I know exactly how I'm supposed to lead into it, how I'm sh- supposed to structure my um, my question to get the, you know, the best results for what they're going to edit back in studio, how they're going to use it in the show. I know exactly where to stand to make sure that my... A photographer has the right position, you know, like, it's all of those little things that you wouldn't know otherwise, if you weren't on the other side of the coin previously, or if you've never been sort of in that situation. So, um, be, and being able to have like ownership over, over what's happening as well, and, and not having to have somebody there, like micromanaging you like, okay, now we're going to do this, like, it, it's truly important for you to be able to go out there and, and be self
1: sustaining. So you're in San Diego for two and a half years. Tell us about the NFL Network, how that came about, and, and just kind of walk us through that. And I'd like to know where you were when you got that call because I imagine that was a pretty good phone call to get.
0: Oh, my God. Um, okay, so it, it's just, as, as you know, contract terms, similar. I won't say similar, but just so that we have a base context, we talk about contracts with athletes all the time, Um you know, in like every few years, they're either getting renewed or they're getting extended. Like with us journalists, that's how it goes as well. Just for everyone out there who may not know that. So um, I had I was coming up on sort of the next chapter in my consciousness So it was either I was going to stay there um, or I was going to look for another opportunity. And um, thankfully, I have um, an amazing agent who has been my mentor. Nothing short of another mom to me at times. Um, she has just been an incredible force in my life, um, and she advocates for me tremendously. And she, we both agreed that it was time for me to to at least at least look into what could be next. We didn't know if it would come right away, or if there were if there was even anything that was available to me. But she said, "I'm going to just put feelers out there and see what happens." And I went on many many interviews, and I got many many no's. <laughs> or <laughs> many, many not right now, or there's just, you know, we'd love to, to explore this, but we don't have a position open, which happens a ton. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, at least we've been looking and researching. searching. In the meantime, like, I'm going to continue to focus on my role right now and, and just keep learning and, and building this, building my toolkit. And then randomly out of nowhere, I got this call from my boss. Um, who's now my boss. He had to call my agent. And the funny thing was, he used to be at ESPN. And I interviewed with him phew, so long ago. I want to say like five years ago. Five okay. or six years ago. And it was just, you know, this is why I tell, is similar to what you just said, like you can't squander away opportunities. At the time, Well, likely I was not ready to be at ESPN. Obviously that I didn't get that job or that position (laughs) after that, but he remembered me and he followed my trajectory and he followed along with my career moves and what I was doing. And, um, you know, that he, he, he got this position up the NFL network and said, you know, I remember this journalist. Let me see what she's up to now. And if she would fit in with the vision that we have now and look at God. Um, and at timing, mm-hmm. and, and it, it just worked out. And it's like a, a seed that was planted so many years ago, you know, it blossomed in, into this opportunity here at NFL. So um, the timing was right in terms of my contract with my last station. Um, and I think I just at the right time in my career too, given everything that I had already built. So I was at home, I think, getting ready to go to work in San Diego when I got the call that um, they're like, listen, it's 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 yours if you want it. And I about lost my mind <laughs> that's uh, because, it, because it had been so many months of hearing like, oh, we like you, but don't think you're right for this or "Uh, no, I think we're going to pass or hmm, we just don't have anything. Up. So it was really I, I thought it was going to be another one of those calls and it wasn't. And it has changed my life completely. Oh,
1: that's amazing. That is that is fantastic. Um, I imagine the Bay Area is very different than San Diego. So I'm sure that was a bit of an adjustment, but, um, I know it's been amazing and exciting for you. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's one problem though. Guys keep buying generic off the rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Get My Job listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, when you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You uh, have been covering the Raiders, and they've had a bit of news over the last several weeks, month and a half. Can you talk about about (laughs) yeah oh, oh, did you not know? I hate to spoil this for you. (laughs) You wouldn't. Honestly, the thing is, if you didn't know and I told you all the things with Antonio Brown, you'd be like, there's no chance that's true. If someone walked into a Hollywood pitch meeting and said, I have a pitch for a movie, I think they'd be like, "This, it's not— that can't, that can't actually be. I don't think that that will work. But you have had a very unique perspective on the Antonio Brown drama, really from day one. And I would love to for you to just talk to us about covering that. It's just a major sports story. It's a major news story. Um, and I would love to know what it's like to have been covering that so closely. And you've been on top of it. And your coverage has been fantastic. So um, please tell the people at home, MJ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's been so crazy because it feels in one sense like it all happened in a blink of an eye, um, and then in another sense, it feels like we've been sort of following this for years. Um, so I was the f- first person to interview him one-on-one after he was introduced um, at the Raiders facility, so whenever this was, March, April, who knows, at this point, several several months ago in the off-season, and, you know, it, it's sort of been, there's like very specific lines of demarcation throughout, throughout the trajectory of this story. So Antonio arrives, he signed, and then team starts you know, off-season tra- um, training programs, and then it's mini-camp, and then we head into training camp. And it's like, you see him flying in this, in this hot air balloon, and then hours later, he's injured. We're like, wait, what? And that's sort of been the reaction ever, at every moment since then. Oh, my God, what? Huh? Even for us as journalists, like, we, you know, the, the beat writers, we sit in the room and we're like, wait, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Is this correct? And so it, it's, it's, everyone starts, like, reaching out to their sources and what do you know? And and it's been, as, as a journalist, really interesting to be in it, you know, like, at the team facility, speaking with, with the players, with the coaches, speaking to Antonio at times. Um, it, I'm almost... Not numb to it. I won't say numb because I think it's impossible at this point. but it's 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 a wild ride to be sort of right in front of it.
1: I mean, I would imagine you've you've literally had a, a front row seat to the entire thing. So would you say to date, would you say that's one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable, co- story you've covered?
0: Yeah, I have to say for sure. I mean, and keep in mind that I was, you know, I was in Miami when LeBron took his talents to South Beach and when they won, you know, championships. And then when he left, so, I mean, <laughs> so I've been somewhat used to the big media circus around like one specific player, but never storylines as, as obscure and bizarre as this. That's for sure.
1: I'm sure. I mean, I, and I and you may never see anything like it again. I don't know that we'll ever I- see anything Quite like this again. I mean, it'll be a a very long time. I mean, I've been—I follow a number, you know, reporters who've said I've been covering all sports for 25 years, and I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, So you will have stories to tell for years and years to come. So I would love to know. You talked a little bit about the months of you're not right and years ago not getting that job at ESPN. What was your most memorable rejection? from the early days. Um, And I would piggyback on that question and say, what is the maybe hardest criticism you received, but that was the most helpful to you?
0: Um, Okay, so those are two separate instances, I think, for me. Um, Okay. The most memorable rejection was so funny. It was, um, you know, I went in to a job and in a completely different capacity, maybe a year or two before, Prior to actually working at this one place and I went in you know I to, to be like a writer just that was the position was the entry-level position just like a news writer copy editor type of thing If so I go in and I do a little test or whatever fine they don't even call me back there wasn't even like a rejection letter or like courtesy email it was just like no by, like don't call us we won't call you type of thing so that was pretty rough because it was very early, like I hadn't even graduated college yet, right? But then fast forward several years after that, and I was the person who interviewed me then was no longer there, but now I was working there in like an on-air capacity. And I'll just say I was thriving. And so this person came back to visit the station and sort of looked at me and like realized that I was the same person, I guess, because it was just that look like, oh shit in their face, sorry for cursing. Um, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and they're like, oh, have you met so-and-so? And I was like, no, nope. hi, nice to meet you. This, you ah. not even email me back. I didn't say it, I, I mean, I played it on very cool, but like in my head I was throwing all the shade. And maybe it was petty, it was fine, it was a younger version of me, um, but that was definitely a memorable moment. Like, I got rejected for one, run- like, but who knows had I gotten that uh, en- entry-level position, if I would have even ended up um, as a reporter, which is what I really wanted to do. I mean, I certainly paid my dues in other ways, but um, it was just interesting that at that particular place, that was the path that was meant for me. Um, so yeah, that one sticks out.
1: That's fair. And I think that's also kind of another I- important thing is it's rejection is hard, but you can't let it discourage you. Right. You've got to keep going and keep timing mean, is everything. And who knows what your path would have been. And sometimes you kind of do have to trust that that happened for a reason and you just have to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. In terms of like of career advice that sticks with me without question, it's to over-prepare no matter what. So I, you know, most, most nights before I have to even be at a facility, even if I'm not on air that day, if I'm just going to be at practice and to sort of gather and talk to the guys, um, I'm doing my research beforehand and I'll stay up for hours just so that I have all of this information under me. Even if I use... 5% Five percent of it, whatever. But at least I'm going in with like the depth of knowledge as best I can, and it it, rem- it removes so much of the anxiety because I'm like I I prepared for this, I got this. Even if I don't need it, I have it in my pocket, and that was one of the biggest things that um, a mentor taught me: over prepare and then breeze in the next day, and and it's a, it's a game changer. I think a lot of people like the pressure of like oh let me cram like no for me like not looking stupid. <laughs> Is paramount. Like <laughs> I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about and and that you know I, I'm on point.
1: And what would you say um, the worst criticism you've received, but that became the most helpful for you?
0: I think it was along those lines. It was, I think, and that's why I had the fear of like of being okay. dumb because I went in somewhere and, and I wasn't prepared. I hadn't done the work. Um, and and it wasn't criticism. It was it was. Really, sage advice. Like you should know this is what they told me, and I should have, you know, whatever it was that, that I was covering that day. You should know it. You should go in there. and You should be prepared, and you should know. And I was like, Oh my god, I never want to feel this way again. I never want to look. I never want to make my employer look bad. I never want to make myself look bad. Um, and and it was a huge um, learning moment.
1: Well, I remember this training camp. There was one day where you were there working, and you said to me, "I'm actually off tomorrow, but I'm going to come to practice anyway, just to kind of." you know, make sure I'm I'm up to date on everything and that I know what's going on. And I think that now I know where that comes from. And I think that yeah. that's, <laughs> but I think that that's amazing. And that is what people should do. You'd rather be over-prepared than under-prepared always, <laughs> always in, in all facets of life. Uh, so I want to talk to you and, and see if you have, and maybe this is along those same lines. So if it is, that's totally cool. But what would you say the number one challenge you face getting into the sports industry?
0: I mean there's so many not just because I think I think the obvious one that people assume it's like oh cuz I'm a woman and that's and that's not the reason why like it has very little to do with my gender I think because um I think the moment you start to sort of stigmatize those things that shouldn't be stigmatized you you're shooting yourself in the foot there so as awkward as it is sometimes to walk in some place and you are the only woman to me that's the norm. Like I, I expect it. That's why when I see you or like Jennifer Lee Chan or and you know all of the other amazing women that are here in this market, I get so excited because I'm like, there's more than one of us. And <laughs> we gravitate to each other, I think, just naturally, because I'm like, hey girl. Absolutely. Like together here. Um but uh, I think part of it too was was age. I, I look thankfully. Thank you, Melanin. Thank you, mom for the jeans. I look a lot younger <laughs> than I actually am. Um, a lot of people think I'm like the same age as, as some of these like rookie players like 21, 22. I'm like, um, I wish because if <laughs> I was 21, 22, knowing what I know now, I would rule right. the world, <laughs> Right. Or, or, or. But, um, you know, I'll be 35 this year and I'm so excited because it's such a different chapter in my life. But even now, like people look at me and they're like, really? I had no idea. Like, I thought you were so much younger. Like, this changes everything. I'm like, wait. What does it change? You know, there, there's like this big sort of misconception that if you're under 30, for example, that why, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. And while I totally understand the whole, you gotta pay your dues, cause hello, I paid them, still pay them. Um, I I don't think that's necessarily the case. And it's something that I've dealt with my entire career just because I I do look a little younger. So people automatically dismiss me as being, you know, green or wet behind the ears. And I'm like, no, I've actually been doing this for 12 years. Thank you. Um, So that's been one of the challenges, just to be taken seriously. Um, And I I think that extends to, like, the the younger women who reach out to me, why I latch onto them. Um, Because I want to impress upon them that, sometimes that is going to present another barrier for you. But it can also really be a tool. Like, I I feel like a lot of the younger players feel more comfortable speaking to me because they think they can relate to me a little bit more because I'm closer to their age. Um, So, you know, if you can get a guy to open up to you because he thinks, like, all right, well, she gets it. Like, she's in my age group. Cool, bro. Let's hash it out. Let's talk then. (laughs) Mm hmm How are you feeling today before the... You know what I mean? So... um, and, and I think that can be applied to, to any kind of obstacle before you try and turn it to your advantage.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I used to work for the mayor of Washington, the former mayor of Washington, D.C., and he used to have a saying, which I think is along those same lines, don't tell me how you can't do it. Tell me how you can. And I think it is along those same lines. Don't don't focus so much on what, what the things that you think are a negative, you in turn in hand. So I think that that is um, excellent, excellent advice. So we've come to the part of the podcast that's my favorite because I have a thing about fun facts. So if any of you follow me in my 49ers coverage, you know that I do five fun facts with players. So I thought I would make it a part of this podcast and do five fun facts with all of my guests. So MJ, are you ready for your five fun facts questions?
0: God, I hope so, yes.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, first of all, what is your favorite moment in sports, either that you've been a part of or that you've watched from afar?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, as you know, I am a Dolphins fan. This is the Fan yes.
1: Girls Network, honestly. And, yeah. and I am sorry, because it's going to be a- <laughs> I, I mean, yeah.
0: that's, that's <laughs> the life we chose, and I'm okay. i stand by it. I stand by <laughs> my team. Um, but to that end, especially after, you know... Rough starts of the season for them. Um, I think back to 2007 when the Dolphins were on the verge of potentially going, were in jeopardy of going 0-16 that year. And all okay. around, I think it was like week 15, it was in December, and they're playing overtime with the Ravens. And I'm like, oh my God, are they going to lose again? And my boy, because look at divine intervention, my boy Greg Camarillo, who I ended up working with when I was in San Diego, goes 64 yards from, <laughs> for this touchdown to win the only game of the season for Miami. You would have thought we won the Super Bowl in that moment. Um, just to know that we, you know, the only team in the NFL who has a perfect season was about to be, <laughs> I think, the first team to go on 16. So it, it was an incredible moment. I think any... any Bin's fan has that one ticked on there.
1: All right, I think that's that. That is a good one. That's definitely a good one. Uh, our next fun fact: What is your life motto?
0: Um, so it's it's actually in, in Spanish, but it translates pretty well. So my mom always t- tells me "todo toma tiempo," which translates to "everything takes time." And so while it's impressed upon me the importance of having patience with yourself, with circumstances, with everything that's around you. It, it also taught me the importance of where you invest your time and how you're using your time and, and how important that can be in, in where it leads you down the road. So whatever you're investing your time in, especially if you're the, – the amount of time you invest in yourself is, is paramount.
1: That is an excellent, excellent life model. And that is also a really great way to say that. Um, I love that. I'm going to be taking that with me everywhere. Yeah. I really, I really love the idea of that and where and how you're investing your time and what you're investing it in and how you're investing yourself. That's just not to reiterate exactly what you just said, but I think it bears repeating, even though you said it way more beautifully and more eloquently than I did. That is just, that's fantastic. So I will personally be taking that one with me as I am sure all our listeners will as well. I know the answer to this one, but not everybody probably does. What is your go-to workout?
0: Bar method without question. I'm obsessed best because it's such a ballet-based um, workout you use the, the bar literally the bar b-a-r-r-e um, <laughs> when I first saw my boyfriend like I'm going to bar he's like wait what he's like, like What bar I'll
1: come <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's,
0: it's 11 a.m mj but okay cool I was like no I'm <laughs> okay, at class it's so good I mean it, just because it has that dance basis in it, it it makes me feel like I'm going to a dance class every day so it just it also sparks joy in my life
1: Oh, I like that. That's fantastic. What is your go-to coffee order?
0: Uh, usually it's a, um, it's a cappuccino just cause like it's s- straight to the point. It has far less calories than like all the other stuff that you're going to do. Do you have a milk uh, preference? No, not that. Not yeah.
1: Okay. That's fair. Um, and I like it straight. It is straight to the point and cappuccino just, it is. Um, and then one book that you think every woman should read.
0: Oh man, I'm the worst with books. Um, I will be honest with you. I have so many books in my house right now and um, they're like halfway, halfway, (laughs) halfway (laughs) read. Um, Currently still chomping away at at, uh, Michelle Obama's book Becoming. Uh, But Mm -hmm. there is one book that I love and and it's written by journalist Dan Harris, ABC um, journalist Dan Harris, and it's called 10% Happier. Like it is... Oh my God, it's incredible. I mean, it's one of the few books in my house that I've read cover to cover several times. And it's just a a kind of a return on your investment in yourself. So, you know, he talks about uh, being embedded with the troops in in Afghanistan and, and being in the front lines as a journalist not as a member of the military, and then coming back and sort of um, processing subconsciously the trauma that he he lived through that. Um, And not just that, but through the the industry. So I think it it just resonates with me as a journalist and as somebody in this biz, um, you know, with dealing with anxiety and all of that. And the title of the book, 10% Happier, he's like, look, you can invest all of this time. He started doing meditation, which um, he says, it may not work for everyone. And I'm not gonna say it's gonna cure everything, but it will. Make you a ten, at least ten percent happier, and he says that's that's a good return on on the amount of time you're putting in, because there is no like fix-all, right? Like you can only called ten percent happier. Yes, I mean it's it's so good, and and it's an it's an easy read, um, because he's very like sarcastic, very witty, almost like that dark sort of humor. Um, so I read it in his voice, and it's it's really interesting. Um, it's it's re- it's a really good read.
1: Do you meditate, MJ?
0: No, girl, I can't.
1: I find that meditation can come in a a variety of forms. Sometimes for me, meditating is listening to a podcast, listening to music. I think that sometimes it's just reading a book. So I think meditating can come in a variety of forms.
0: I, you know what? I agree with you because I think what, like, for example, bar method, which we just talked about, I completely like the whole point of meditation, as I understand it, is to focus in to kind of channel your energy into one thing. And the only place where I'm able to do that is when I go to bar class like truly and fully and that's for me right because I'm so focused on like is my posture okay is my position all right is are my feet pointed you know and do I have a flat back like it's a point of pride for me to make sure that like I'm hitting everything the right way and so that's all I'm thinking about and for someone whose brain is constantly going for one hour every day to be able to do that and only focus on that is, is nothing short of a miracle I tell you
1: well, there you go. There's, there's your meditation. So you do meditate. Yeah. You'd meditate. <laughs> method. Yes. And breathing is a very important part of our class. So I yes. think um, I think that you, in fact, do meditate in the way that's best for you. Uh, MJ, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an awesome discussion. I absolutely love working with you. And this was a real treat for me to get to sit down with you in, in a sort of different capacity and a different setting. So thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. We are so caught up in the grind when we do see each other, you know, we we take a little moments to like chit chat and catch up, but uh, we're always grinding girl. So I'm glad that we actually got this chance to, to talk at long form.
1: (laughs) Me too. It was fantastic. Um, Everybody, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review for a chance to win fangirl merchandise. Uh, It is really great stuff. So please don't forget to do that. Instructions are in the show notes and description of the pod. And we will talk to you next time. MJ, thank you again.
0: Thanks, Grace. Thank you for listening to Believe.